Thank you, Ross. Well, we have had an incredible time with you all the last, in, with your country, the last, uh, last 48 hours or so. And uh, tomorrow, well, actually, this afternoon, in just a few hours, we will fly to Oxford, fly to London, and then uh, take a bus up to Oxford where our daughter, who is 20, is studying this semester. And so we are thrilled to, to be, I've actually never been in England, I've been in Gatwick and Heathrow, but never <laughs> out of the airport. Um, and, and I've heard that in Oxford there is a, there is a dining hall that's five, six hundred years old. And when this dining hall was built, there was a, a center beam in, uh, in the roof that sort of held everything together. And as happens when buildings get old, the center beam began to rot. It was, it was a 500-year-old building. And so they went to their architects and they said, what do we need to do to get a new center beam? We'd like it to be solid oak, just like a solid one piece of oak like it is up here. And the architect said, <laughs> you're not ever going to, it would be totally unaffordable to find a solid piece of oak this long. You, you just can't do it. We'll put something together and it will look like a solid piece of oak, but it'll, it'll never happen. So they began to do the work and the research and looking at the original plans, exactly what the specifications would be. And they came across a curious note. And the note said, as a part of the building plans, the note said, we are, the school was, was called to plant a grove of oak trees somewhere on their campus, and they gave the specific location. Plant a grove of oak trees so that when the time came and the beams began to rot, they would have the resources they needed 500 years later. So sure enough, they go and look, and they find a grove of oak trees. Planted 500 years before by people that this generation would never know or see. Planted for a generation that this group would never know or see. Now, I want to use that image today as an image for your investment in the next generation. I want to suggest that every Christian church is called to plant oak trees. And I want us to just think about that in terms of... uh, uh, Three ways that we do that, three processes to do that. The first one is we have to ask ourselves whose job it is to plant the grove of oak trees. You heard the scripture that Susan read from Deuteronomy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Of course, this is the most important text of the Hebrew Bible. If you go to an Orthodox Jewish house, there'll be a little mezuzah at the door, and they kiss it on the way in. This is, no, this is not something hidden away in Obadiah. This is the most important text of the Hebrew Bible. And, and, and if it's followed by, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. These things are to be on your heart. And then it says, impress them on your children. Most important text of the Hebrew Bible has a generational address. It says this needs to be delivered to the next generation. And then in the original Hebrew it says how to do it. Hire a youth director to do it for you. No, what does it say? It says talk about them 
when you rise up, when you lie down, when you're walking on the way, when you sit down together. Talk about these things with your children, whether you are in your family, in the extended family of the community of God, but you're going to be talking about them. We uh, had a trip recently, and, and the, uh, the vans or buses were out in front of the church, and there were two mothers talking to each other. And the kids were getting on into the, into the bus to go on a retreat of some kind. One of the mothers was a youth leader. The other mother was brand new to the church, and this was her first trip. She was a little nervous about her kids going on this trip. And the, the youth leader mother says to the other, she says, which one's yours? The new mom says, well, it's, Jenny is my daughter. She's in, the, she's in the red top and the blue jeans. And, of course, she asks, which one's yours? And before she can think about it, she says, you know what she says, all of them. All of them are mine. When, when we do baptisms... I have a shorthand version for describing what happens in baptism when, when we, as a covenant community, take vows for children. What we're saying is, dibs on the baby, that one's mine. That one's ours. We had a, had a professor in seminary who uh, was going through a very difficult divorce. And during the divorce, his 15-year-old daughter decided she would run away. The mother had left the house, and she was living with the dad, and she got sideways with him about something and decided to run away. So one day she was gone. Two days she was gone. Imagine, parents, your 15-year-old daughter has disappeared for two full days. You have no idea where she is. I mean, he was beside himself. He was terrified. The mother had no idea where she was. This was in New Jersey where I went to school on the East Coast, And three days after she had gone, he receives a call from her about two in the morning. She's on the West Coast. She's caught a bus, and she's traveled 3,000, 4,000 miles across the country. She's in a town where they lived in when she was younger, hoping to find someone in California that knew her and would be her friend. But she couldn't find anybody, and so it's about two in the morning, and she makes a phone call to her dad from a payphone, and she says, Dad, I'm scared. I don't know what to do. And it just so happened in God's economy that in that very same town lived the elder who 15 years earlier had stood with this child at baptism. And so my friend, the professor, calls that elder and says, 15 years ago you stood with a little girl, and tonight she needs you. If we're going to plant oak trees, we can't delegate the task of planting oak trees to the Chris's and the Whitney's of the world. We plant oak trees because every one of us knows that that's our calling. It's part of our vocation as disciples of Jesus. Okay, so we know whose job it is. It's all of ours. But secondly, if we're going to plant oak trees, we need to prepare to be unsettled. I uh, grew up in a little Presbyterian church in Waco, Texas. And in my little town, my little church, we had a thing called Youth Sunday. And once a year on Youth Sunday, the youth were responsible to lead the whole service. We, 
we preached and and uh, did the uh, music and the whole the entire service was up to us. And I was 15 years old, and I was asked to be the preacher. Well, that's because I was the loudest one in the group. And there was nothing about my life that commended me to be speaking God's word, but um, but I was happy to be up front and get attention. So <laughs> some things have not changed. And I don't remember exactly what we did in that service, but I do remember our attitude preparing. Our attitude was... Offend people at all cost. <laughs> and if there was one person we wanted to offend the most, it was Edna Lou Sullivan. Edna Lou Sullivan was a woman that I was convinced had been born at the age of 117. And each morning before church, I'm sure she went to her refrigerator, found a lemon, and sucked on it for 30 minutes just to get a spiritual expression for church. And we knew if there's somebody we wanted to, to offend, it was going to be Edna Lou. Edna Lou was the president of the Zolly Luther Sunday School class. Now, the Zolly Luther Sunday School class was a group of women who decided that they didn't want anyone to mess with their Sunday School room. And so what they did was they built an, a room off of the church, a sidewalk away, like the three little pigs. They built a building out of bricks so that no one could get in, especially the young people. So we were ready to offend Edna Lou and her Zolly Luther friends. Now, I don't remember what we did in the service, but I do remember <laughs> that we accomplished our mission. <laughs> and I'm standing at the, I don't know, do you, do you, we had a thing called the enjoyed it line. Do you have an enjoyed it line? Where the pastor stands at the door and people come by and say, enjoyed it, enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, well, so I'm at the enjoyed it line and I look over my shoulder and I see out of the corner of my eye. Edna Lou Sullivan. She is hot. She is so mad. She is, if she could possibly be more puckered up than normal, she is so. And, and I turn around to my buddies. I've got my three 15-year-old buddies behind me. And I say, hey, guys, there's, there's Edna Lou. <laughs> People are coming by, filing through, and it's an incredibly loving, incredibly caring church. And they come by and they're hugging us and saying, we're so proud of you. And it's just, you know, just this sort of shower of love. And then there's one person left, Edna Lou. And I turn around to my buddies, my homies. Because, you know, when you're 15 and you got three or four other 15-year-olds, you can be pretty cocky. But when I turned around to get my homies, they'd gone homie. And it was just me and Edna Lou. And Edna Lou grabs me by the arm with her little lobster claw hands. And she takes me into the sanctuary. The sanctuary had a, had a slant like this. She made sure she was on the upside and I was on the downside. And she grabbed me by the arms like this. And then she pointed her finger in my face and she said, young man. I saw what you did. I heard everything you said. And I'm going to tell you something right now. You're going to be a preacher one day. (laughs) 
It is the curse of Edna Lou that got me <laughs> into this position. When I think about my call to ministry, it all comes back to a puckered up old woman who saw things in me that I could never see in myself. That's why I think it's so important for puckered up old people like Roz and me <laughs> to, stay <laughs> to stay in ministry. Little boy had fallen out of bed, came down and told his mom about it. His mom said, honey, what do you think happened? The little boy said, I guess I stayed too close to where I got in. Isn't that a great picture of the way a lot of Christians are? They stay just a little too close to where they got in. They, they get in the door and then they refuse to take the next step forward. Brennan Manning in his book called Ragamuffin Gospel describes those people this way. He said, that person deposits his faith in a hermetic container and seals the lid shut. He limps through childhood on, limps through on childhood memories of Sunday school. And resolutely refuses the challenge of growth and spiritual maturity. One of the reasons I believe it's so important for all of us to be engaged in this process is that as we are in the process of following Christ, ministry happens in our wake. If we are in the process of sitting in pews and being passive receivers, there's not much happening in our wake because there is no wake behind us. We need to be prepared to be unsettled. Growth is always unsettling. As I have looked at it, there's only one sort of substance that things grow in. Any ideas what that is? Are they allowed to talk, Godfrey? He says it's okay. What's the substance that things grow in? (laughs) You are so close. (laughs) dirt right and fertilizer is even messier than dirt at times right if we want to see things grow it's going to be messy at times and those that choose resolutely to move away from growth are those who choose to keep things comfortable and safe until they die there's actually a fascinating study about uh a a scientific experiment where they said, let's take an amoeba and make the conditions absolutely comfortable for the amoeba. It's like we want to put the amoeba in a jacuzzi and let the amoeba be on vacation and relax. And all the appropriate food, the perfect temperature, let's give the amoeba everything the amoeba could ever want. And guess what happened to the amoeba? It died. We weren't made simply to be comfortable. It's like a string on a guitar. If it's too loose, there's no music. There's something about being unsettled that's just central to living out the gospel. Well, whose job is it? All of ours. We need to prepare to be unsettled. And finally, if we're going to plant oak trees, we need to be prepared to actually gain more than we give. There was a pastor that did a series on the fact that everybody has a gift. Every Christian needs to live into their gift. And, and he'd been on this series for weeks and weeks. And as he's standing at the door, there's a 16-year-old boy named Gary who comes out the door. 
Now, Gary didn't have great social skills. But Gary was touched by the message that he had heard that day. And he came to the pastor and he said, he said, I, I know you've been, um, I know how you've been sort of talking about how, you know, everybody has, a, has like a gift and stuff. And uh, um, I figured out what, what mine, mine is. And, and uh, well, it's driving. And, and I know you've got, you said there's some old people that needed a ride to church. And I just wonder who I'm supposed to pick up next week. <laughs> well, the pastor is thinking not just about Gary, but about Gary's car. Gary has a 1967 Chevelle with uh, orange tailpipes that come up the back. There's a 454 Oldsmobile engine in the front. This is not a subtle boy. The car just in driving in the parking lot, he can hear it from in his office. And so the pastor does what many pastors do when they have no idea what to say. The pastor says, let me pray about that and I'll get back to you. And so he says, I'll call you Wednesday. So all during the week, the pastor is thinking. Finally, Wednesday before school is out, he remembers Clara. Clara is about 73 years old, and she has had an illness that has caused her to lose the functioning of her legs. And so she's in a wheelchair. She loves her church and would love to get to church, but there just hasn't been anyone that could bring her. So the pastor calls Clara and says, Clara, I have a mission for you. Notice how he asked it. I have a mission for you. And she says, yes. He says, today, about 4.30, I'm going to bring a young man by your house, and he's going to ask if he can drive you to church on Sunday, and you're going to say yes. <laughs> so, sure enough, they get in Gary's car, drive to Clara's house, get out. Gary, in a very stumbling, awkward way, says, would you, can I, I was thinking maybe I could, I'll take, you could write Sundays. And she says, I'd love to. So the next Sunday, he comes to pick her up, rolls her out to the car, sort of awkwardly picks her up out of the chair, sets her in the car, folds up the, the wheelchair, puts it in the back of his car. They drive to church, and they keep this up for the next three years, almost every Sunday morning. Gary and Clara, the odd couple in the oddest car, pulling into the church parking lot. I want to tell you, if you were to ask one of them who got the most out of that deal, they'd arm wrestle each other for it. Because Gary would say, I, I don't know where I'd be if it hadn't been for that crazy woman that loved me so much. And Clara would have said, I don't know where I'd be if it hadn't been for that little boy who picked me up every week. We're going to gain more than we give. One of the things I say about youth ministry is that you can never spend more on youth ministry than you'll get back. Every investment in youth ministry always comes back in the form of some gift from God. I got to believe Northern Ireland is doing some things with the next generation. That I, just as an outsider, I need to hold up the mirror to you and let you know there are things happening here. Things that are not happening anywhere else in the world. What if, 
I don't know if this is a politically correct thing to say. What if the next Bono is in children's church right now? What if the next Walt Disney just happens to be one of the people that was up here singing this morning? What if the shapers of the world's culture are in this church? Are we, what are we doing to surround them in a way that they, whatever they do, wherever they go, they will bear the aroma of Christ to the world? I went to a high school graduation. This has now been about 10 years ago. I'll never forget it. It was, a, it was my eighth high school graduation of the, of the season. We have a lot of different kids in a lot of different schools, and so I go to a lot of high school graduations. So I was a little bit weary of high school graduations by this day. So I decided that, do, do you have high school graduations? No. I probably should explain what the heck I'm talking about. Um, when kids finish their high school, there's a big service, and uh, they pass out diplomas. Yeah? Do you do that? No. Not so much. Roz is looking at me like I'm smoking. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, well, so it's, it's as if um, all of the students in the high school would, might be up here seated, and they call each of their names, Bob Anderson, Billy Bohong, Kathy Karanji. So it's all alphabetical, all right? They're giving them their diploma. So I figured because of the alphabetical nature of graduation ceremony and the fact that I had a girl whose last name started with S, I had a little extra time. So I got to graduation about an hour late. And so this, in this particular place, it was at the Ryman Auditorium, which is actually the home of country music in Nashville. And the Ryman Auditorium was actually built by a converted riverboat gambler who wanted to create a revival hall. And so there are pews instead of chairs. And, um, and the way it works, it's sort of in a fan shape like this. And the balcony comes almost all the way down to the front. So the floor is sunken down. The balcony comes down. And if you're on the stage, you're almost closer to the person in the center of the balcony than you are to the person right here. So I'm up in the back of the balcony, right about over here. And when I get to the graduation, the service is still going on. They are still giving awards. They haven't called the first kid's name yet. And they're giving some awards. And they give the athletic award and the academic award. And finally, they come to the most prized award for their school. This is the the most well-rounded kid, the kid that we have the most hope for. And so they tell a bit about this young man. They say he was born in Russia, but they thought he'd never walk. But he ran on our track team. And when he moved to our country in, when he was 10 years old, he didn't speak a word of English, but he's graduating with honors from our literary school. And this summer he'll be traveling to Israel to begin his studies to be a rabbi. And everybody claps very politely, like somebody just sank a three-inch putt. And the boy walks up to get his award. I'm standing back here in the balcony. And the very front row of the balcony, remember, front row of the balcony is closer to the, the person on the stage than any place else in the building. Front row of the balcony, this huge man, probably 6'5", 210 pounds, long white beard, black yarmulke on the back of his head. He stands up like this. 
for an embarrassingly long time. <laughs> and he stands there, and he stands there, and the boy comes up and gets his award, and he's still standing there, front row of the balcony. <laughs> and the boy smiling, shaking his head <laughs> as he goes back to his seat. And I walk back to my car thinking, I'll bet that's not the first time that grandfather had been in that position for that boy. I'll bet when he was born and they said he's going to be a cripple, he is crying out to God for that boy. And when he came to the country that is known for its sin, I'll bet he was crying out for that boy. And there he was again. And so when I think about the kind of youth leaders I want volunteering in our ministry... I just think I want some more Jewish grandfathers. I just want some folks who are not afraid to look like crazy people. My son, who is a youth minister himself, my son says that whenever I find healthy, godly, growing young people, there's almost always a crazy person in the stands. There's almost always somebody who is willing to love that young person irrationally. Well, friends, as... You live into the next chapter of God's call for you as your new pastor. Ideally, next Sunday is called. As your new pastor comes, may this be a church that is so filled with the Garys and Claras and the Edna Lou's and the Jewish grandfathers that the next generation stands on the shoulders of giants to reach into that next higher calling that God has for this people. And may those gather together to perpetually plant another grove of oak trees. Amen.